Welcome to the Diet Doc Movement podcast for the third episode of our three-part series on disordered eating. Episodes one and two explore clinical eating disorders. Today, we explored disordered eating as a whole with the Diet Doc's health psychologist, Dr. Corey Probst. We are very eager to dive into today's episode. Um, We're kind of moving away from the clinical terms of eating disorder and into disordered thoughts around food and relationship around food and just really defining that it's not always about the food. (laughs) That is right. Yes. (laughs) I think Corey would agree sometimes it has nothing to do with the food, Uh actually. Absolutely. Yes. So, Corey, if you could come up with a definition of disordered eating, how could you encompass that? I would say that it would be defined by the degree to which your life feels in some way dysfunctional based on your relationship with food and your body. Mm. I, I can't just keep it centered around food because oftentimes disordered relationships with food start because we have a disordered relationship or very fraught relationship with our bodies. Yes. The other thing I'll say is that disordered eating will it varies in degree and severity from a diagnosable eating disorder, but it can be just as concerning and harmful. Uh, what some of the like most prevalent signs of a disordered relationship with food? Well, I think all of us, because we're in the field that we're in within fitness and wellness and weight loss and physique transformation. And (laughs) we're all going to, we're going to call, call it something different, but I would say obsessive calorie counting would be one thing. I would say constantly thinking about food and worrying about food and and being in an anxious state around food and all of those things in relation to our bodies as well and our appearance and how they look and the size and shape of our bodies and constantly constantly comparing ourselves to others and our appearance to others and our size and weight and shape to others. Um, Anxiety around certain foods, anxiety or stressing around um, certain food groups, a rigid approach to eating, um, really putting a lot of boundaries and uh, I guess restraints around what we will eat, when we will eat, how we will eat, who we will eat with. Um, And I'm not saying that it has to be all of those things to be disordered. It could be just one of those things to be disordered if it's really getting in the way of and causing dysfunction in life and in our ability to enjoy life and in our ability to do the things that are important to us and to be in relationship and to be social and to feel connected and to move our bodies in in joyful ways and to be able to go out to eat without 
really just, I mean, becoming, becoming obsessive about what we're going to order and what's going to be in it. And is it trackable? I imagine that there are a lot of people listening who, especially when they jump into a weight loss journey, for example, these are questions that they start asking themselves because most of the time when we go into some goal like that, we want to do it perfectly. And we want to have all the boxes checked and we want to have all the answers right away, right? And that's a slippery slope. It really is. And that's why it's so important to have coaches who can say, look, we don't need to go there right now <laughs> or ever for that matter. Um, and how can we approach this in a very realistic way, not so that it takes over your entire life, but so that it becomes a little slice of your life because everything else that you're coming in with is important too. And we don't want to lose any of those things. So um, I guess other things would be our self-worth, our self-esteem being based on our body shape and body weight and whether or not we are adhering to a diet perfectly and meeting macros perfectly every day. Um, I would say too that because I work with a lot of individuals who have a lot of body image disturbances and uh, so whether or not they fall in, within a certain weight range or a certain BMI category uh, that that causing a lot of emotional or psychological distress and that constantly being on their minds. So there are a lot of things <laughs> that can indicate that there's disordered eating present. One of the best ways, I, I think, for everyone who's listening, if you're questioning whether you are disordered in your eating patterns, you probably are. <laughs> yes. And I, I am smiling to myself because I was going to prompt a question of how common is it? And you reflecting on many, not even beginning to broach on all of them, but many of the thought patterns and the signs of having disordered eating. It's right. like, th these are things that even myself as a nutrition clinician have had to work through and have thought of, I think by just being alive. Yep. And I think that's writing on the wall with how common it is. I mm -hmm. think anybody listening to this is probably, you know, thought once or twice, if not regularly, one of those topics you had brought up. So absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think I it's, I mean, I think a lot of us get into this work because we've had disordered relationships with food and, or still do and, and, or our bodies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this as a therapist, I got in, into therapy and psychology because I wanted to figure myself out. <laughs> I was like, I got a little, I got a lot of stuff in the basement that I need to go like dig around in. <laughs> well, I made you a darn good therapist. That's for sure. Um, and I still do. I still do. But that's not to say we shouldn't be doing what we're doing because of our histories. But it is to say that hopefully if we're coaching people through this, we have done a lot of that work and are still engaged in a lot of that work and have come to a place of, of peace, acceptance, and compassion with the, within those relationships of food and body. 
but to answer your question, Meredith, around how common it is, um, there's research that shows that up to 50% of, of the population demonstrates really dysfunctional relationships with food or with body or with exercise. You know, we haven't even mentioned that. That's another symptom is compulsive exercise. Um, training through injuries and training when the weather is terrible, when no normal person would necessarily go out. Um, training when you're just dog tired, just feeling, feeling this drive to do it because we have to, not because we want to, not because it feels good, not because it's enjoyable. And that's like, there's a continuum there because I've worked with a lot of people who will say, no, I really do enjoy it. And this is my antidepressant and I get that, but what's, what's the underlying mechanism under, what's the foundation of that? What will happen if you don't do it? Are you gonna beat yourself up all day? Is there gonna be a lot of shame and or guilt there? Um, are you gonna be looking for ways to move your body more throughout the day? Or are you gonna eat less to compensate for not getting that exercise? So those are some other symptoms too to watch out for. I think that's why I love the world of psychology and I fully support you know, modern medicine too, but there's kind of the stigma around, oh, let's, let's fix the symptom versus let's, let's fix the root cause. And diet culture has said, hey, here's the fix to the unhappiness in our size or our shape or athleticism. And here, follow these rules and you follow them and it works and, and everything's fixed. When in reality, like any relationship, you can't just smack a bandaid on it and say, voila, it's fixed. And it's the same thing with disordered eating. Like you have to do the the deep work to a realize there's a relationship that needs to be improved on with self and food. And then B from there, if there is a desire to change, how can we do that like safely and comfortably and sustainably with food versus, Oh, just follow this list and it'll fix the problem. It's like, no, there's, there's a, a root cause and let's dig into what it is. Right. Isn't that what we want to do though as humans is just follow the formula, follow the blueprint, mm -hmm. the step-by-step -step <laughs> rules, just follow the rules and you'll be fixed and cured. And yeah, not, not as human beings. It doesn't exactly work that way. You've seen, I've seen, I've seen you post this, both of you have like the change is never linear. It's like this. <laughs> I think we say that every day to at least one of our clients. <laughs> so perfect and true. Yeah, ironically perfect. Um, but we do tend to be a culture that believes that more is better. You know, I have a client right now who, it, and it made me very happy when she emailed me and she said, what would you think about my next training program having a, another rest and recovery day? And I was like, I love that idea. Tell me more about what you're thinking with this. And um, so we started her new training program and a day after it starts, she's rethinking it. She's like, no, I'm feeling really anxious about this. I'm not sure that I like this very much. And we are very much routine 
uh, and pattern driven people as well. And so change can, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience and um, belief in our ability to unlearn what we've, what we've learned and what's been a lot of times modeled for us. So I, you know, before I go off on a bunch of other tangents, you know, when I, when I said what we've learned, a lot of times what we've learned in terms of food and learned in terms of our bodies, um, we have, we've gathered from, well, a lot of different sources out here in the environment, books we've read, people we've talked to, but growing up, I think, well, I know that you know, the, the individuals who raised us um, modeled for us different ways of approaching food and different ways of approaching our bodies. And they sent specific messages based upon what they did or didn't do or said or didn't say about food and about their bodies. And some of these things were very overt um, like fat is bad. Um, I can't eat that. <laughs> That'll go straight to my hips. Um, or maybe we were in environments that food wasn't, a, there wasn't food available to us. And so when it was, it was like a frenzy. You, you get it while you can. Or maybe it was abundant. And so the message was, you know, eat all the time. This is, this is normal and this is healthy. And Clean your plate. I hear that one a lot. Maybe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's how I grew up. I grew up with clean your plate. Um, you know, we lived it when I was growing up, single mom, um, trying to make ends meet and yeah, you finished your dinner and you also didn't, you didn't get dessert or a treat unless you finished your dinner. <laughs> and now I'm teaching clients that, you know what, you could choose dessert for dinner if you wanted to, you don't have to eat both. <laughs> You can just have the cake if that's what you really want. <laughs> but let's see how you feel because that's ultimately what it, you know, comes down to is us learning to trust our bodies. But where, how is trust built? Well, through patience and, and being kind and compassionate, listening, learning to listen, um, learning to understand, taking our time, being curious. Um, we can't force trust. We can't force trust between two people. You're not going to be able to force trust with your body. But those messages, so they can be, they can be very overt um, or they can be covert and just kind of hidden and based upon what you didn't see growing up. I never saw, mom never ate with us at dinner. I'm not speaking about my mom. Like family sitting around together at the table at dinner was a very important piece of my history and growing up and so it's still very important to me it's like dinner time that's the time to connect and share and talk about the day and um there's a sense of kind of peace that goes along with that and mindfulness and it's very connecting experience for me and when when I'm not eating with someone at dinner and I'm sitting at the table by myself um it's a little lonely, <laughs> I feel that way. Um, but 
Yeah, so messages can be overt or covert. And I, I guess, you know, one of the disconcerting parts uh, about disordered eating to me is that many of the behaviors that we've already mentioned, those aren't even seen as dysfunctional because diet culture teaches us that they're normal and good <laughs> and, and applauded a lot of times. Oh yeah, you cut out those carbs. Yes, absolutely cut out gluten. It's cut it out, cut it out. Put stronger boundaries around, around that thing. Like more restriction, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally normal to take your, um, you know, your food in a container to the Easter dinner and eat, eat out of that while everybody else is enjoying yes. food. Yes. Diet culture. Diet there there is one program and Alexa will, will smile because she'll remember this is that one of my, I'm a breakfast person and I love breakfast and I used to wake up, I have my banana and I'd go work out like super early in the morning, like 4.35 o'clock. And I had gotten enrolled in a different nutrition program. And they had said, you really shouldn't have fruit in the morning. because <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. okay. I mean, I guess I shouldn't have fruit in the morning as much as I love my, my pre-workout banana. Nope. It's bad for me for how many weeks, Alexa, <laughs> like 12 weeks. All I could think about was that damn banana. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I just want, I don't even want to binge on chocolate cake right now. I just want a banana before the hours of 6 a.m. And I look back and it's like, whoa, that really, I mean, it did and could very easily set a pattern of that distorted view of, few, of, of food and what's good too. bad. Yes, and binging. And, and my clients know that I'm very transparent. I've, I've had a history of it. And yeah, and it was, it, it almost made me laugh because I'm like, I don't even want to binge on things that I've had an issue with in the past. Mm -hmm. I just want a banana. Yeah, it's so funny that that restriction creates the obsessiveness. Yeah, um, yeah that that's it's called ironic process theory. It's all like you, hey Meredith, don't think about a banana. <laughs> what the heck do you think you're going to be thinking about if I tell you not to think about eating bananas? It's the first thing. It's the top of mind, right? Yeah. So if I tell you to cut out carbs or don't eat gluten, that's the, that's the thing you're paying the most attention to. And so it becomes obsessive. Yeah. And then too, that here's my, my hippy dippy side is that the subconscious doesn't know a negative, right? Don't think about the banana. It's, it's the, the, now the conscious and subconscious aren't thinking about not, or the don't, they're thinking right. about the product or the, the yeah. substance. Self. And mm -hmm. I, I try to relay that with my clients that it's not them. Like we're hardwired Such to message. Yes. Think this way. And that, I think that's a really powerful thing to understand and accept mm -hmm. that, oh, like, okay, now that I know that about myself, I can work through the steps. So I'm not now sabotaging myself because I right. thought it was me or I'm broken or I'm wrong. Yeah, I think there's a lot of blame there. 
I feel like a lot of our clients come to us like, oh, I just can't, I can't get a handle on the weekend and binging every weekend. And we're like, well, let's I take- don't have enough self-control. Yeah. Self-control, you know, and it's like, let's take a look at your week. And then, oh, wow, you are completely restricting yourself because you think these, you're deeming these foods bad. And then when you get the chance to have them, you're binging on the weekend. That's not your fault. We are just wired that way. <laughs> let's fix that. I'll give an example. I had one client, Mary, if you remember him and he loved little Debbie's and, you know, in his mind, he's like, Oh, I'll go to the gas station and I'll buy a hundred of them and I'll eat them all in my car, you know? And, and I remember when he first signed up with us and I was like, you're going to eat a little Debbie every day. You're going to have one little Debbie. Yeah. What? And I'm like, just try it. Just, just plan it. You're yeah. not gaining weight. He was so fearful of that. And he, it totally changed his relationship with, you know, he's like, wow, this does work, you know? And he realized that he could still, you know, make progress and get results. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't the one little Debbie every day. It was the thousands of little Debbie's that he was, you know, binging on, but we fixate on the things that we can't have, or we tell ourselves we can't have. And that's, you know, restriction can be psychological. It can just be us saying, I shouldn't be eating this. This is a bad food. This should not be on my plate right now. Or it can be actual physical restriction where we're not eating it. Either one of those types of restriction will cause what you guys are both talking about, which is the, the obsessiveness and the, the sense of like emotional clinginess to that food itself. The opposite holds true and that's called habituation is when it's available all the time, it's like, meh. Okay, no big deal. We stop thinking about it all the time because we can have it anytime. It puts us in a place of real power. It does not feel like that at first if we are used to having those very, very strict boundaries. It can feel like we're out of control initially because we do want to eat it all. It's finally available. Oh my God. But once we take that that piece away where you eat it all and then you're saying and you can't have any more after this if we take that piece away and say you can have this anytime then where's the urgency right? and I, th I think that's where a lot of our clients you know, after they go through this program, it's like, great, they might've lost weight, but the real progress is like this freedom that they have, it's freedom from the scale, but it's just this freedom of being tied to being restricted that caused this disordered eating for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so hard to explain to potential yeah. clients, like this is a transformation, but like, we can't even explain it to you. Because those you clients- you experience I, it. Yeah, and they're, they're signing up for, the weight loss or the weight change yeah. that they don't even recognize until we shed light on it that like hey that like that the tools that we're providing a side effect of it is weight loss if that, those are the tools that we're providing for some it's you know gaining or maintaining but the the true exciting part of it is the the change that you're going to make with your relationship with self and food. And like uh, Alexa and I always say, it's not a sexy cell because it's, you can't <laughs> bottle that up and explain that to someone like, hi, you're looking to lose weight. Let's talk about the, the relationship of food and you lose right. people. <laughs> but, oh, right. I, I would love for, 
you know, I know our clients, this is work that we dig deep with them um, regularly, but for those that are listening today, if they could take home one tangible either piece of advice or an action or a thought that they could start to kind of heal maybe some of the disordered feelings that they've maybe now noticed that they have with food, what would something they could start right now to help that process? You know, I always come back to self-awareness. It starts there. We can't change anything we're not necessarily aware of, right? This way I talk about, you know, me going to the basement <laughs> and opening the boxes in the basement. Um, so it, it takes a willingness to start reflecting on our history and our learnings and our beliefs and our ideas and asking those questions like what what was the environment around food when I was growing up? What was the tone around food? Was it frenzied? Was it like aversive? Was it conflicted? Um, what were the messages that I got about food and about my body? Was it not okay? Was it was I told that it needed to change? Was I told that it needed to be fixed? Um, what did I see my caregivers doing or saying or hear them saying about their bodies? Um, it really starts there. And seeing how we've been shaped and conditioned. And this is important because we do need to be able to say, okay, while I might be engaging in these behaviors and they're not healthy, they're actually harming me. Um, I'm not to blame. This is not my fault. Um, because, you know, when we start to personalize it and shame ourselves and make ourselves bad people because we're engaging in these behaviors or having these thoughts, it makes it it's going to make it that much more difficult to, to transform them. So we do need to see ourselves as, as being conditioned um, by our environments and by other people. And that's, that's the human condition is <laughs> we are, we are, we are very influenced by our environments and by other people. And that's, it, it it's a good thing. Um, but especially when we're younger, we're just sponges for so much information and we make a lot of assumptions about what's wrong and what's right. And, um, you know, as adults, we fortunately, most of us have more skills and have more support to be able to say, no, this isn't you know, this may have been appropriate then when I was younger, it was protective. It's, it's the way I survived. Like I couldn't stand up to my mom when I was five years old, but now I'm 30 or now I'm 40 or now I'm 60. And this is not, it, this isn't serving me anymore. So um, I'm going to get support to work on, work on changing these beliefs and, and these ideas and I get to write a new story for myself and I get to, I get to step into a different relationship with my body 
end with food. And here's how I want it to look. It doesn't look like this now. Here's what it looks like now. But when I think about what my life is like in this different relationship, what am I doing? How am I acting? What are the behaviors I'm engaging in? What are the thoughts that I have most of the time? And so that's what I would recommend is asking those. They're tough, deep questions, but we need them because they're gonna provide us insight and a greater level of awareness to create that more functional, intentional, transformational relationship with food in our bodies. And those are questions that I think a lot of people don't even know that they may need to ask themselves yeah. or those are the aspects of, of life and nutrition and, and wellness and exercise that can start to transform a problem that maybe they don't even recognize is a problem within their being. When we had done our coffee with coaches, uh, Zoom chat with you, Corey, it was on the psychology of eating and my dad had actually tuned in and you had made reference to the family dynamic as a child and in his family, it was the last one to the table, didn't get the pork chop. And I think at 70, you know, one years old, he had this epiphany of that makes sense why I eat the way I eat now. And it was questions that he didn't even know he could or maybe should ask himself. And it shows that it's never too late to really dive into this work. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love when I hear stories like that. You are absolutely right. We are never too old or too set in our ways. All we need is a willingness. And to perhaps you know, ask different questions, read different things, talk to different people to get those different perspectives because you're right. I mean, we don't know what we don't know. And if we're just trying to figure it out by ourselves, we're just, we're stuck in this loop, in this story, in this narrative that was written a long time ago for us that it's like the never ending adventure, but it keeps us in the going like on the same roller coaster over and over and over again. We need a new theme park. Yeah. <laughs> to play in. And we hope it's the diet doc theme park. There you yeah, go. I really like that one. Yes. <laughs> but you said one of my favorite words, and it's a word I, I constantly throw out my clients is perspective. Oh yeah. That you know it it's so powerful when you start to even just you know meditate or think about that word and how it shapes everything in our life. And again, I'll say it again: we don't often think about our food and perspective or our relationship and perspective. Um, and it really is, it's your, our perspectives are what sets that foundation of our relationship with self and food. Yeah. I think one of the best questions perhaps that people could start asking is just thinking about the different people in their lives or different friends, coworkers, people they admire, they, it doesn't even need people they know, but they could say like, how would she handle this? What would he do in that situation? <laughs> what, what perspective would they take on this behavior or this thought? Um, just to start opening the doors to other possibilities. Because we, we can get just really locked in, you know, spinning our wheels, doing the same thing, thinking the same thing repeatedly. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, we've talked a little bit on the last podcast about back in the bodybuilding days and some of the, the disorder eating that came from that, which I didn't even know that I struggled with until now looking back at it. But I think for me, it was a few things. Um, obviously the diet doc was a very big help for me, which is why I ended up getting the license and, and working this business with Meredith. But um, I think education um, and, and finding the support from somebody who knows um, they're not just selling you some kind of diet plan, but they're really going to tap into the psychology behind the eating. Corey, I don't even know if you know this, but back you, you and Corey had came and done, or you and um, Dr. Joe had came and done a seminar in Columbus. And that was the first time that I had heard you guys speak. And I just remember after that, I read every single article. I watched every single video. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really just soaked up all of your guys' information and I learned and you know, obviously time, time helps, time heals. Um, but I really think that support, even though you probably didn't even know that you, you were supporting me, but you were, um, that support and then just time um, were the two things I think that really helped along with education, obviously, that really helped me get out of that disordered eating that I didn't even know that I really had until now. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Alexa. I think you know, where a lot of us can get stuck is we search for information that's going to confirm what we already know instead of the opposite and asking the question like, what might I not be seeing? (laughs) If, If all of this stuff out here is diet, 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 and lower, 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 and leaner, 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 and cut, 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 and restrict, 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 like, is there another way? Are there other ways? <laughs> there gotta be other ways, but it's hard. It's really hard in this culture because that is literally all we see. Mm-hmm. Now the other stuff, it exists and it's growing, but not many people know what to look for for the reasons you just look like that we've talked about. Um, the media images that we see, most of them are, you know, they're not showing normal sized women (laughs) or men for that matter or whatever gender they're showing you know the very unrealistic images that have been you know polished and perfected and that's what we end up comparing ourselves to so we're just inundated and bombarded in social media and by diet books and everywhere Um, and the message that we start, we believe what we see and hear all the time, even if it's not true. I, I would say one of the biggest um, problems we, that we see with our clients when they first come to us is, uh, and again, this goes back to diet culture, but you know, they, they might drop one to two pounds in that first week and they are, they are upset. They are upset. They're like, why? I, I watch the biggest loser and they're losing 12 pounds a week. What, what's wrong? Like this, is this program not going to work? I, I, you know, and they get frustrated and, you know, Marathon are constantly preaching, you know, the, the why behind that and that, that that's normal. And that's a, that's a good pace and we're going for longevity and sustainability and um, the education, but you're right. It's, it's so much diet culture and, and I don't blame them because it is so confusing. Absolutely. Yeah. We, when we're helping 
the individuals that we're coaching to gain perspective, like we're talking about, we are fighting a very large beast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a very, very large beast that is just continuing to grow and get bigger. Um, a multi-billion dollar beast that uh, I, I don't, I don't know that we'll ever eclipse it. I don't know that we have to, um, but that, gosh, all I can say is that what you guys are doing is so necessary and so needed. And for you to build up, like build up your resource list from um, the individuals who are out there that are more like inclusive, weight inclusive, non-diet, you know, non-body shaming um, is really, really important because our clients do need to see that the stuff they're seeing is not the only thing that's out there. <laughs> Let's show them the athletes that are like kicking ass <laughs> who aren't in super lean ripped bodies and, you know, who who feel amazing and are living their best lives, who aren't just chiseled to shreds and um, and who are restricting and who are taking their Tupperware containers to restaurants and all the things. <laughs> I think the moral of the story for those listening is you're not to blame if you are embodying and feeling these things. Mm -hmm. Our society, unfortunately, has created this environment to feed that disordered thinking. And I hope that this just resonates with individuals to take a look at their, their diet and not in the terms of, you know, bad diet, but in the terms diet of the way that they're eating. And that, yeah, and their diet is more than just the, the macronutrients. It's, it's what you're feeding your soul and your mind and your environment. And, and to realize that you are up against an uphill battle because of the culture that's currently at, at play. But um, there are individuals like myself and Alexa, and of course, doc, Dr. Corey Probst, like yeah. we, we are there to help hopefully shed some light and, and start to shift perspectives. And I yeah. am just elated that we are in your company because you have shifted both of our perspectives. That is for sure. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. And I, I just, I'll say this, that there's a lot of boundary setting that happens in this work. That's another thing that you know, as we're coaching our clients, it's about really having them take a hard look around what's serving them and what isn't in terms of what they're putting their attention on and what they're allowing to kind of seep into their psyches and what they're starting to believe and what, you know, who are they following? Um, what are the influencers that they've kind of become attached to? And what is the emotional tone that they get when they're listening to that person? Do they start to feel open and expansive and spacious and curious, or do they start to just feel like confined and restricted and tight? And that's a really good signal that something needs to change. I think that might be another tangible step for our audience is yeah. I always say your tribe affects your vibes. So take a good hard look at what it is that you're following or, or trying to attain and apply Corey's message right there to 
Start curating something different. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, Corey, we are as always so appreciative of your time. And this is such a fascinating topic. And all three of us, I'm pretty sure, could turn it into a 17 <laughs> series podcast. Um, but I think the most valuable message um, is that, guys, this is, this is, it's not you. It's, it's unfortunately normal and common, but there are the resources to help um, heal your relationship with your body and your food and your self-worth. And if you have any questions, um, Corey, how can they reach out to you directly? Sure. Yeah. You're welcome to email me. My email is Corey at the diet doc.com. And you can follow me on Instagram right now. Most of my posts are about relationships with a person, <laughs> but they're all applicable to relationships with food and relationships with our bodies. So, you know, follow, follow the Instagram channel at the diet doc life. Well, wonderful. Thanks for being here, ladies. And we will tune in everyone next time. Bye guys. If you are looking to improve your relationship with food, reach out to us. We base our consulting services not only on the science of nutrition, but also the psychology of dieting. And if you or someone you know is battling an eating disorder, please don't hesitate to contact the National Eating Disorders Association.